Once again, a very special welcome to you if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Uh, it's a joy to have you here with us. Uh, if you're someone who hasn't been to church for a while, uh, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, or you might be really aggressive against it, or even apathetic to uh, the gospel and the good news of Jesus, we're glad that you made your time to come this Sunday morning. It's a blessing to have you here with us, uh, and we pray that Jesus will continue to reveal himself to you, and anyone who calls Canterbury home, you have the right and opportunity to go up to them and say, hey, why do you believe in this Jesus? And they should be able to answer that question. Um, So please um, come to any of us and ask any questions that you have and doubts, and we'd love for you to uh, explore who this Jesus is. And because of that, we, when at our church, we believe that when we open this book, we're not just opening a book. We're actually opening the audible voice of God. That His Word, the Bible, is like He's speaking to us audibly as we read, as we meditate, and hear. And the letter that we've been exploring is the church through the Ephesians. It's a letter that was written a very long time ago by a guy called Paul, but because it's alive and it's God's word, it's relevant for us even today in 2018. So with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's just the version that I've chosen. You may have something else. That's fine. It's the Spirit of God that makes these words come alive. So would you read with me? Here is God's word. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Then would you please pray for me too. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for these true words. Would you please speak to us, for those of us who are far and for those of us who are near. For those of us who need to be refreshed, refresh us. For those of us who need to be convicted and challenged, please do that. Either way, Lord, I pray and ask that we'll walk away knowing you more. Holy Spirit, we need your help with that. 
We pray, Jesus, that you would be front and center and that you would be glorified. And once again, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight through your Son, our great Savior and King. In Jesus' name, amen. When we began this journey in Ephesians uh, a few weeks ago, we wanted to unpack and we began very clearly, um, Paul stated for us who we were in Christ, being adopted uh, and being in Christ. There were all this language that was what was the foundation at the very start of Ephesians. And this morning, I want us to consider this and meditate on this. Near and far, one in Christ. Near and far, one in Christ. But before Paul jumps into that, he begins to kind of follow on from what he took, we explored last week. Very significant verse. And that's in verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Last week we were reminded that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's nothing that we can do. It is all of God's effort. It's all of God's grace. And then in verse 10, Paul says this really wonderful comment. What it does is, he's saying to the Ephesian church, you've been saved for a purpose. That they are God's workmanship. That God is at work in them. That he's shaping them and creating for them for a purpose. That was explored in chapter 1 of being adopted into this family, into Christ. Not only that, now they've been shown grace. It's not out of works. It's all of God's work. It's God's workmanship. But they've been made for a purpose, for good, God-glorifying work, work that God has pre-prepared in advance, work that He has gone before and prepared for them. They are called to walk in them. Now... We're going to be unpacking some of those details in the coming weeks, what could be those good works. But at the very least, it's a reminder to the church there that they have been saved by grace, but they can't just sit back now and just wait for Jesus' return or call or be called home. It's a reminder that there is fruit that needs to be produced. It's saying that the grace of Christ, the saving work of Christ, Part of that work is there's fruit being produced. Fruit driven by grace. That is, grace worked eventual work that God has pre-prepared in advance for them. And the Ephesian call is the same to them and to us today. That we have been saved by grace, which is wonderful, glorious news, but we can't just kick back and do nothing. That God has prepared things in front of us opportunities for us. These works are described as good works. There's a quote up here on the screen by a commentator by the name of Kevin DeYoung. And he says, Good works are not the root of our redemption, but they are a necessary fruit. Good works are not the root of our redemption, but they are a necessary fruit. In other words, it doesn't bring you salvation, but there's an outworking uh, reality of grace if you're saved by grace. Good works. Works that God has gone before you and prepared for you to do. So if you're a follower of Jesus, God has work for you to do. Work for his kingdom, for his purposes. 
that he's gone before you and prepared for you to do. So join in his work. Ask him to lead you to that work. And if, you are a follow, if you're someone exploring the Christian faith, and if you wonder the Christian faith is just sort of like, you know, fire insurance, or just, you're just believing in this so that if there's an eternal life, you can get that. Yeah, but there's much more than that. If you're exploring the Christian faith, it's a reminder that when you find Christ, when you give your life to Christ, you have this great purpose, work that he's prepared in advance for you do, to do. You have God-driven purpose. And with that in mind, Paul then says, therefore, because of all the things I've just explained, therefore, verses 11 to 12. Now, last week we explored, right, where he, where he talked about this is who you were, but this is who I, you are now. And he's going to do the same thing again, but this time he's focusing on something a little bit different. He's focusing on their ethnic background, who they are. There are people far away with no hope. So if you read verses 11 to 12, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. And for those of us who've grown up in Christian culture and Christian church, when you hear the word or the term Gentile, a few things might happen. We automatically might just assume, well, yeah, that's someone who's not a Jew. Yes, that's true. Someone who doesn't have Jewish heritage. Yes, that's true. But see, in the Bible, the language of Gentile wasn't something that just showed up in the New Testament. It was actually there often. It was also mentioned in the Old Testament. So to be called someone a Gentile is to say they don't worship the one and only true God. And in the context of Old Testament language, the God of Israel. And so it was actually kind of a bit of a looking down kind of term. It wasn't really a nice term. And what Paul does is he now connects it to them and he says, Hey, this is who you were. You were Gentiles. You, you had no rights. And not only that, he uses a word particular that was in those quotation marks, the uncircumcision. Now, when we read that, we might just kind of glaze over, what does that matter, Shabu? Just bear with me for a moment. It was actually kind of like a nickname, like kind of a talking down on kind of nickname. It was using a term to say there are not people who have a privilege like those who have been circumcised. See, it was much more than some sort of physical term. It was meant to say that Gentiles were cursed. There were people outside, far away. Not a people who are like the circumcised. People who have been chosen by God. Who have a very close relationship with Him. These people are seen by God as His people. So for them, they meant there was a very significant identity. But see, for those who were Gentile, they were seen as people who had no rights. But for those who were seen as those who were Jewish, they were seen people as people who had a particular relationship with God. They had special promises or covenants is the Bible language with God. So in verse 12, when Paul says, Remember 
that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in this world. There's a lot of weight to it. If you consider there's a whole group of community in Ephesus thinking this is who we were, we're Gentiles. There were people who had no hope without God. See, the story of the Bible didn't start in Ephesians. The story of the Bible is from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So the idea of being very close to God or near to God was language of privilege. So that was a very significant, particularly in the Old Testament, that was the status and place that the people of Israel had. They weren't seen as people who had a particular promise and covenant with this creator God, the one and only true God. They were in relationship with him. So to see that you're near to God was a significant statement. And you can pick it up in places like Exodus, and, uh, where God speaks to Israel and he talks to them about being their God and you will be my people. This is language of being close and near to God. But there was also the flip side. The flip side was to be pushed away. To be a people group or to be under curse, a painful curse. That was to be banished away from God's presence, not to be anywhere close to him, to be far away. And that was anyone who was outside that special covenant relationship. They were seen as a group of people, individuals, as unclean outsiders. And even the Jewish religious system of that time was displayed and set up in that way. One of the most significant uh, buildings of the Jewish culture and Jewish history and religion was the temple. And in the temple, they had these kind of areas. And one of the specific areas that separated the Jewish people from the Gentile was this particular wall that was known as the Court of the Gentiles. And when we read these kind of things, we might think, oh, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's a question for you. Have you ever felt on the outside? Have you ever felt like you're on the outer? You're not in the in crew. On a, on a silly note, I feel like on the outside, whenever I'm hanging out with a sparky or a chippy or a plumber or a painter, as they talk about their things... It's very clear to them to see that I have no idea what they're talking about, particularly as they look at my supple fingers. But, you know, have you ever felt, and have you, do you ever feel, and particularly in this culture, as Nathan prayed about, that you can't on the outside, you know, the inner? Friends, that's not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. But friends, if you're uh, someone who is exploring the Christian faith, I think we have done this to you. We've talked to you as people who are sort of on the out there, you're unclean. We kind of talked down on you. See, in this context, in this story, in this um, letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, for someone like a Jewish person in particular, to hear now this promise, this relationship between God has been extended out to the Gentiles. 
would have just been mind-blowing and would have just not sit right with them. And you read the Gospels and you can't continually see how Jesus is engaging with unclean people, people who are outside. And a lot of the religious leaders are not liking it. And the guy who's writing this letter, Paul, before he encountered Jesus Christ, was on a mission. Because all of a sudden, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus is saying... Hey, you can have a relationship with God, not based on the covenants and things that you keep, simply by Christ and what he's done. And now it's been extended out. This is why Paul would have hated Christians. How can they? They're not us. They're the outside Gentiles. They're not one of us. Friends, that is the story, the story of all of us. That's the story of all of us, that we too were people who were far away from Jesus. We were excluded in the language of Israel, from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning that we could not share in the wonderful blessing and promises, the promise of having a relationship with God. We were the people who are on the outside. We are the foreigners. And that's the story of everyone who is away from the Lord. And this is why when Paul in Acts and particularly he engages and he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus, he talks about the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus and now has been fulfilled. It's all been done in Christ. It's all by grace. And we just explored that last week. But now it's been extended to the Gentiles. Those who have been far away have now been brought near. That's the story for you and I, that we are people without hope, far away. We are people living godless lives and God brings us close to him. And in verses 13 to 17, you love these verses that says, But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off being brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Paul is reminding this church again, as he already has, it's all about grace. That grace narrative is continued. It is God's gracious gift of coming close to you. It's all done through the blood of Jesus. He's brought you near because of Christ. He's brought you near language is powerful because Paul's pretty much saying to this church, hey, Jesus' blood has given you access to the God of the universe. Jesus' blood has given you access to the God of the universe. And now you are beneficiaries. You've got benefits. The first benefit, there's peace. And the story of the Bible, peace and shalom, is a big narrative constantly throughout. It's the idea of you've got peace with a holy God. Now no longer are you just Jew or Gentile. Now you've been brought into this one family. And the wall that divided you 
Even in the temple, as they, as they went to the, to, the, to the court of the Gentiles, they would have seen that wall that was there. Christ has broken it. The wall of uncircumcision in the flesh and the wall that you're not keeping the law has been broken down through Jesus' blood. All done through one person. One new man has bought this peace. He's reconciled you. There's no more hostility between you and a holy God. And this has happened because something has been preached. Peace has been preached. Both to those that are far, the Gentiles, and to those that are near, Jews. It's a wonderful statement because it's a wonderful reminder that it's the gospel of Christ alone that can save. It's the good news. That peace, again, in the language of the Bible is to remind us is God's kindness that it's been shown and it's been fulfilled in Christ. The messianic blessings that's been shown through Jesus. And the New Testament fulfillment of that is Jesus said, the coming of the kingdom of God. And salvation is no other way but through Christ. It cannot be done through keeping a law and standards. And it's been announced. It's like this picture up here on the screen. On one hand, you have the Jews. On the other cliffside, you have the Gentiles. And there's this new covenant that has been placed by Jesus through his precious blood spilled on the cross. It's a wonderful reminder again. It's all about God. It's God's doing. And church, that is our reality again even today. Jesus has bought peace. You're no longer on the outside. His peace has brought you near. Walls that separated you between a holy God has gone. There is peace between you and God because of Christ and his blood. And friends, that's also a striking reminder. If you want to talk about what does that look like in your daily life, see, if this is true, if you know Jesus, if you are someone who has experienced being on the outside, being away from God, and God has brought you peace and access, there's actually no room for you and I to have prejudices or think that we are superior to anybody. Because Christ has given us grace. There's no room to be prejudiced or think we're superior to anyone particularly those who belong to Christ. They're actually family. I think the unofficial Australian anthem is this one done by the Seekers. We are one, but we are many. From all the lands of earth we come. We share a drink. We sing with one voice. I am, you are. Okay, you sound very excited about that. <coughs> and for a young person, if you don't know who the Seekers is, talk to a really old person. They'll be able to... or Google it, either way. But either way, there's this thing about this oneness and unity. Like, I mean, in our Australian culture, where the closest thing that you see this, where different type of people, different cultural backgrounds, different kind of socioeconomic backgrounds, and they come together, the closest thing you see this in play is in a sporting event. When you're sitting next to someone that you've never met before, but they're wearing your footy colors just like you. And through that whole time, you are united for your team to win. You're high-fiving each other, you're cheering, you're screaming, you might even hug that person. You're united, there's this unity there. But on a, on a more serious level, 
I think as Christians we've been reminded that there are those that Christ has purchased, brothers and sisters in Christ, who believe in the same gospel as us, who are also in the inner. Christ has brought us near. One of the things I get spoiled to once in a little while is to be part of a committee. When I say the name, please understand what I'm saying to make it sound like I'm someone. Uh, it's called the Gospel Coalition here in Victoria. And I'm on the committee, and I have no idea to this day why. I think they just wanted to look multicultural, maybe. But um, for those of you, it's recording uh, this. Anyway, I'll, anyway. Um, <laughs> but I've got to be honest with you. It's myself and a couple other guys who are young, youngish. And uh, we always look at each other and we just shake our head because we have no idea why we're there. But I think we've finally realized we're the interns because whenever there are functions and meetings are going, we're the guys setting up the chairs, we're making the coffees, so we get it. But I had this great privilege to sit next to a Church of Christ pastor, a Baptist pastor, a Reformed uh, church pastor, an Anglican, a Presbyterian. And they look at me and try to still figure out what denomination I am. When we gather together, there are differences of opinions on secondary issues, 100%. But we agree on the blood of Christ. And we unite around that. So friends, in our day and age, that means you and I, for those of us who have been purchased by this blood, there's actually, using the biblical language, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no, in a sense, no Indian or Aussie or Chinese or Kiwi or Canadian or American, Italian, Filipino or German. These are all the people I could think of in our church. There's no, in a sense, brethren or Baptist, whatever denomination, because if you are part of Canterbury Gardens Community Church and you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, we are one. We are one in Christ. And so with that, Paul says in verses 19 to 22, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says to this church, Hey, You have been given access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. No longer are you far. No longer are you a stranger. Not only that, you actually have now citizenship rights. Before you didn't have any citizenship rights. It's all now been given to you. You actually are fellow citizens. You are one family with the Jews and the Gentiles. You have been joined together and you have been given an all-access pass membership to God and his household. And this, in verses 20 to 22, if you have not picked it up, to me, this week has been overwhelmingly encouraging. Where does God decide to come and reside? Where is his household? Did you see it? Verses 20 to 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesian church, Paul is saying, God is doing some renovation work in you. 
He's at work. He's building a way. And he's used his apostles and prophets to lay that foundation. But the one who holds it together is Jesus himself. This is using, again, Old Testament language of the temple and the cornerstone. This idea that Jesus is the cornerstone. He, you might have a foundation, but Jesus got this most significant position of putting it together. And you take away Jesus, there's no foundation. And Paul gives this picture of a building that's been built and put together frame by frame to make a holy temple for the very presence of God to come and dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. There's so much going on here. For the early readers, whether they read it or got read to them, this would have been mind-blowing. Because with the culture of the time, to be told that you're an idol worship, you're out there, there's no other way you can come close to God. But then, now hearing, you can be near to God because of Christ's blood. And not only that, His very presence is no longer in a building, but it's going to come and reside in you. Would have been powerfully amazing and encouraging and refreshing. And he's saying that Christ has used His apostles and prophets They've set the foundation, but the one that holds together is Jesus Christ. As you're being built for the very purpose to be his temple for the Holy Spirit to come and reside. God's presence himself. The idea of God's presence has been constantly in the Bible. And one of the biggest places that it's shown is in the Old Testament. The holiest of places was called the tabernacle. This was the place that the God's holy presence would come to dwell. This is where God's very presence was. But the thing is, you could not have access to that unless you were a high priest. And that wasn't that often. And not only that, for you to get access, you should, if you ever get a chance to read it, you should see how much of blood had to be spilled. The closer you got to the holiest of holies, more blood. And you have these wonderful words in the Gospel of John where God enters human history and he dwells amongst us. He tabernacles amongst us. And on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb, Paul says, Ephesian church, Christ has done this, the blood of his has done it. Now he comes to dwell in you. And that means for you and I today in 2018, Firstly and foremostly, you have a different postcode because you have been given a different citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven. And not only that, you have been made a member of God's household, meaning that you have been given VIP, all-access pass to God himself. So the most, the holiest members of area, you can be in God's presence. It's a wonderful picture and a reality for the early church being told, hey, religious practices won't get you to a holy God. Not doing all this stuff that you think it will. Neither will your race or heritage or family history. It's all of God's gracious work. Because who's doing the work? God is at work as he works in you. As we were reminded this morning through communion, had his very Holy Spirit comes and dwells as soon as you give your life to Christ. This is what Paul is saying to your house, your body, your life is being prepared as you give your life to Christ for his Holy Spirit to come and live in you. Friends, that is a grand, beautiful privilege to consider that the Spirit of God, God himself, dwells in you. 
And that's a wonderful encouragement. Did you know that God is always with you, literally? Because His Spirit dwells in you. No matter where you are, no matter what season you're in, Christ is in you through His Spirit. That means God doesn't just show up on Sundays during the church service. He's always there. But it's also a wonderful reminder and encouragement, also a warning, that if the Spirit of God is in you, if He lives in you, your life is actually not your own. His precious blood has bought you. And that is why we're then called to live lives in joy and gratitude and confidence as His people, people who have a citizenship set in heaven, because you are people who are once far off and now have been brought near. This is what it means to be near and far and in Christ. So this morning, if you're someone who's exploring the gospel and the good news of Jesus, I just want to lay this out to you. You can try to build bridges to a holy God. You can try, but I've got news for you, you won't be able to. But there is one who has. His name is Jesus Christ. He went to the point of dying on the cross for you so that you can have access to him and to the Father. And when you say yes to Jesus and his loving lordship in your life, it doesn't just mean that you get to be able to be eternity in heaven, but you actually have the presence of God to come and dwell in you through his Holy Spirit. Then he's called you to do the works that he's pre-prepared in advance for you to do. God, this is our ever-gracious God. We serve this amazing, gracious God as Nathan prayed this morning. The God who was far off was willing to send his son to come near to us into the sin-infested world. But yet this Jesus was willing to be be put far away Murdered on the outside of the city as a common thief. And the Father forsake him on that cross. And his precious blood has caused you and I to be able to come near. For those of us who know him, there's this wonderful work happening in your life and in my life. He's begun a renovation in you. As he continues to change you and shape you as His Spirit lives in you. Friends, so take courage. Live as a people that are near to God. And so in closing, as you kind of finish off this Sunday and as you head into this week, I just want you to maybe meditate on these questions. One, do you have any prejudices towards people, people groups, other Christian denominations. Maybe they defer with you on secondary issues. They agree with you on the gospel. Do you speak of them as fellow citizens in Christ? Or is there a sense of arrogance? And if you and I have an opportunity to serve with those who are of other backgrounds and races, dear friends, if they believe in the same gospel as you, Be very careful that you don't go in with an arrogant attitude to think that you're better than them. In the economy of God, there is no kind of ethnic divide. They're all one in Christ. 
Secondly, in your daily walk, are you talking to the Holy Spirit? Are you actually talking to him? Did you know he's God? He, you can talk to him. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to continue to remind you of the gospel. And finally, as you think about your week and your life and your plans, are we living as citizens of the commonwealth of heaven or as citizens of the commonwealth of this world? What is it that God is asking you to surrender maybe in today? So, whether if you're someone who's near or close to God, Christ has purchased you through his precious blood. And go and live as his people in this world. And for you who are exploring, we pray that you'll encounter this Jesus and give your life and faith to him. Let me pray as the music team comes up. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being our great saviour who is willing to come near. Thank you for offering grace and forgiveness through your precious blood that we have peace with you. Holy Spirit, would you please help us to live in light of this this week and every single day and help us to live as one united in Christ under our Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.